Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 87 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance-proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Darlene Santor, known to many as Coach Dar. Coach Dar is a board-certified occupational therapist, leadership advisor to top CEOs around the country, mental skills coach to professional athletes, business executive, author, and speaker. Coach Dar is passionate about helping people break through barriers to achieve their goals. Her work continues to reach a global audience. As a therapist, executive advisor, and mental edge coach, she blends a knowledge of science, psychology, and leadership with her personal passion for life. The result? Individuals, corporate executives, and professional athletes and teams aim higher and achieve more. Additionally, Coach Dar is a trailblazer for the Phoenix women and was awarded the most inspiring woman for the WNBA. It's her unique style and approach during transformational seminars high-impact speaking engagements, and exclusive one-on-one sessions that have helped people say no to the status quo, to raise the bar in their lives, to break free so they can break through, and to reignite their hearts to live a purposeful life. From her experience as a board-certified occupational therapist, to president of a healthcare company, to chief operating officer of a record label, to chief performance officer at the fastest-growing jewelry company, to an advisor to global CEOs and athletes. Darlene has a proven track record of leading people and inspiring positive change that impact lives. Coach Dar has been seen on Fox Sports, The Today Show, Good Morning America, Cirrus XM Radio, and many other publications. Highly anticipated book, The Art of Bouncing Back, will be on bookshelves February 28th, 2023, which is just next week. Coach Dar, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Max, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I've been waiting. I feel like I was in the Kentucky Derby and I'm like out of the gate because I knew this was on the schedule today. So I'm so excited we get to do this. Me too. Me too. I kind of feel like this is, uh, I get to reconnect with an old friend. I get a coach. I get to be coached. I love getting coached. I love getting, uh, some fresh perspective. Uh, so Mm -hmm. this is going to be a good time. All right. Well, let's start out right away by talking about your new book, The Art of Bouncing Back, since it will be officially released on Tuesday, February 28th, correct? Yes. All right. So let me ask you, what inspired you to write the book? Well, I wish I could say it was because I've had no adversity in my life, but that's not the case. (laughs) But what started out as honestly a book about awakening greatness for people, because that's what I do is helping them reach their fullest potential. But I started with that and quickly realized that there is so much content around what I do about helping people bounce back. And in the middle of writing this, I had my third stroke. And so what was going to be a chapter in the art of the bouncing, art of bouncing back became a whole book. And I say that right off the get go because if I hadn't had all the experience I have had as a therapist and a coach for 26 years, I don't know that I would have bounced back from a third stroke. Three strokes is not, you know, something you just bounce back from. But I did it in such, I would say, record time because of the mental fortitude and the things that I do that I help athletes and CEOs do with building their mental resiliency, building the skills that they need and the fortitude, 
And so when I was putting this book together, it became the nine principles of how to bounce back, of how to build your mental fitness and how to build that mental ground so that when adversity hits, it's like an elastic. It just pulls you back. You pull back to center to flow. And it became clear that this was a book that was needed. And we went through a pandemic after. So it it just became prime time. And that's what the publisher wanted. They were like, this is prime time. We've got to get this out now. I love it. I love it. And for you know, for those of you that don't know, she's been through some adversity, three strokes, lost both her parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is this is a, a pretty crazy story. And, and I have known her for quite a while. So I love I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping in this. Who would you say? And I think this is an obvious question, but I think the audience audience would want to hear this straight from you. Who is the book for? It was originally supposed to be written for leaders, business leaders. But as I started to write this, while there's examples in here for leaders and examples of athletes and things of that sort, this is the people's book. It ended up as I wrote this, it just became the people's book because there's not a person on the planet that I don't know that doesn't need to work on mental fitness and build mental fortitude consistently, just like we work on our health. So while this is intended for leadership, it's really the people's book for all to learn how to build the mental resiliency you need to. Awesome. And and I have been lucky enough to be in your presence. But I will say, honestly, for those of you listening to this, she walks the talk. Like she is as positive as she comes across. That's who Coach Dart is day in and day out. And I think, you know, I, I think it's just important to point that out because I think a lot of people, when they see somebody with content out there, um, every, what you see is what you get. What you're hearing is what you get. And I think it's just mm-hmm. super important to, you know, kind of to say that because I know personally that that's, that's the case. I've run into you in I certain agree. times and certain places and nothing is ever different. It doesn't matter the environment. It doesn't matter the situation. So I want to dive further into the topics uh, of the book. But before we do, I want to keep going down this path a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about your journey and kind of how mm-hmm. you get I, to me, that's super fascinating, you know, because I, I met you at a couple of points in, on, along this journey. But mm-hmm. like, let's even go, go back with starting with like what led you to pursue a degree in occupational therapy at Syracuse in the first place. So when I growing up, I just knew I wanted to help people. I di- I came from Italian family. My mom was a barber. My dad was a tool and dye maker. So to have a vision like I had at a young age, which was I wanted to go make an impact in the world and help people. And my grandfather ended up having a stroke and I saw this occupational therapist come in and work on his cognition and his vision all at the same time. And I thought, what is that? And I'm fascinated always about human behavior. So I went to school to be an OT. And then when I got out, I started right out and I started a small stent in mental health. And then I went right into traumatic brain injury. And so my patients were all neuro, brain injury, spinal cord, stroke. And so I had no idea this was the setup for kind of the platform of where I was going because we have to remember way back then, 26 years ago, there was no like coaching like it is now either, or even leadership advising was not like it is now. So, but I was getting all the fundamental tools because everything we learn on psych, psychology, neuro, and the brain and human behavior is all of my board certification. So the work I did was such an honor to you, Max, because I was helping people, you know, it's like anyone, if you get in an accident or something happens in your health, you've been going about your everyday life, something happens traumatic, and your whole world is flipped upside down. And then you're looking at your husband or your wife or your child, and you're going, you have to get them back. Like This can't possibly be happening right now. And I realized too then, 
you became the therapist, the coach, the motivator, the leader, because it's in the middle of chaos that you walk in and you say, it's going to be okay. And I had to help them stay, you know, set on a vision that looked impossible. You know, you may never walk again. Yes, we will. You may never be able to talk again. We will figure this out. So this set me up because I ended up doing that, which led me then going back to school for business because I had a, my first stroke right while I was working. And it's, uh, I, it left me with a blood clot. I went to a chiropractor and when they manipulated my neck, it ripped my vertebral artery. It's just a freak thing that happens, but it stopped me in my tracks for a little bit. And I was told if this blood clot dislodged any day, I could die. And you're 25. I was married at the time. You know, you're not equipped for this. So I quickly was naive and I said, well, if I could die any day, then I want to change healthcare. <laughs> so. I went back to school for business at night. And then at 28, I was running a healthcare company and then ran multiple companies after that, at that short stint. And then in 2008, when the world hit a recession, it was for me an eye opener. I thought, I've got to go help people because now with business and without a skill set I had as a therapist and leadership, to me, this is where coaching began for me. Because I said, well, I have all the tools and the skills to be able to help people shift their mindset. You're losing your home, your job, your finances, you know, having to start over. I know it's hard. I know it's really hard, but I've helped people overcome extreme odds. This is shifting behavior. This is shifting your mindset. And that's what took me into starting a practice in the middle of recession with no clients. I just left everything. I mean, I literally left the lucrative position, position to start my own practice. And I started speaking on free for mindset and then mixed science, psychology and leadership and created a practice of what I knew, not that I know knew what it would turn into, which just led me to coach obviously professional athletes and founders and CEOs. But that came obviously 13 years later of a private practice, but it came because of my roots as the type of therapist I am. Oh man, I love it. You know, the two things that came to mind Selfishly, we're about the same age. When you talk about stuff, I'm really able to like, you know, align myself with your, mm -hmm. your, uh, with the timeline because yeah. we're, I'm, I'm older than her. Of course, you can tell if you can, if you, if you see us for sure, I'm a little older, but not by a lot. And the other thing is, is like, man, I know those people that needed an occupational therapist. What a, you know, what a bad situation that is, but how mm -hmm. lucky they were to have you as their occupational mm -hmm. therapist. Um, you know, and, and what you'd become one day using that as a platform is pretty amazing. Um, you know, the question I have is, when did you officially become Coach Dar? <laughs> That's I so feel like, good. I feel like you, I mean, maybe you weren't quite Coach Dar when I met you, but I don't remember you not being Coach Dar ever. I think I was, actually, because it was when I moved out here to Arizona, and I was helping as the Chief Performance Officer of Oregon Meow, and, you know, speaking, I started really speaking more and more all over the country. And every time I would speak, people would be like, oh, you just got coached. You know, and it's like they would say, darn, give you a hug while a kick in the pants. Mm -hmm. And so it literally became Coach Dar. They're like, oh, you just got coached. And then they shortened Darlene to Dar. And they, it became Coach Dar. I didn't even create that. And when I actually wanted to, you know, was branding my own business, uh, rebranding it, I went to a top branding company and I said, you know, how do we change this? They're like, do not change it. No one remembers anyone's name, but they'll remember Coach Dar. I was like, okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
And then in there, just in your journey, and then, like I said, I'll, I'll get into yeah, some of the yeah. meteor topics. I think it'll be fun for us to dive into in the book. But then in there, what I also realized is that you became president of a staffing and recruiting company at some point. Was that for two or three years? Like, tell me about, yes. your, about that, yeah. because obviously that, you know, that's kind of my background. And uh, I didn't know that until I kind of dug into your, your background. So when I was an OT and, and then I went back to school for business, there was a healthcare company that had about 40 facilities throughout New England. And I ended up running a small rehab facility and then it, it did well and we turned it around and then I ended up going to the corporate office. They had an opening and I became president of a healthcare company, which then we created a staffing division of it. So we staffed occupational, physical, speech therapists, nurses, and that became the staffing company. So we did that for a few years while we also ran, we ran a few companies all at the same time under the umbrella of the healthcare company. So it was, I mean, it was, I was so passionate about it then because I knew the work. And I knew the model and then we created the model. But when I started, Max, I didn't have like, you know, we had the parent company, but then that division, it was like, oh, you want to start that? Well, great. There's, there's no extra resources. There was no like you get extra HR. You had to get all my own sales staff and marketing staff and we grew it, but it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I started in recruiting, we used to fax resumes. When I tell yeah. people like that, they're like, wait a minute. They don't even believe me, but, uh, that, that is, that is true. Oh, um, for sure. We did too. We had Blackberries then too. There was no iPhones. Oh, uh, Blackberries are the best. I felt like yeah. I had a Blackberry and an iPhone and I really needed to type fast. I used the Blackberry and then I yes. used the iPhone. So finally yes. I was like, you know what? That Blackberry thing, that's, that's getting old now. I know. Awesome. Well, I have a ton of questions regarding, uh, you know, the, the book and I just want to jump in, you know, let's talk about the art of bouncing back. Mm -hmm. uh, what is what does that mean to you and what have you been through coaching others you know that have really kind of led you to this this you know first of all the book but i think it's more of you know it's more of a philosophy that i think you really uh you know you really carry very well i do and that here's the thing you know we know for sure unfortunately that adversity is coming we can't dodge it we can't escape it challenges are going to happen in our life from health challenges to financial to just challenges in family, whatever it may be. So we cannot escape adversity. And everyone that I work with, so I used to be the Phoenix Suns mental conditioning coach. It didn't matter when I'm traveling with them. I might be working on their mental edge on the court, but there's a challenge going on in their life. I'm working with founders and CEOs. We're working on maybe how they want to show up as a leader or a CEO and how they want to lead effectively, but we're dealing with all the stuff that's coming at them from business and life. Obviously, I helped all of the people I helped bounce back in the hospital. So there's it became this apparent thing that when I worked with everyone, it was how do I help them mentally build an edge and a fortitude and an endurance? So when the hits come, it's not that they don't get knocked down because some of them are some of the hits are hard, but we just bounce back faster. And it's feedback that I got after working with people where <laughs> one of the CEOs once one time said like, Oh, there's that. You were just with Dar. Yeah, I just, I get it. Like, you, and I go, what do you mean? How did you know? He goes, it's a Dar difference. I'm like, what is that? And he's like, you just know after any of us have been with you because we just come out with this, like, we could take on the world mentality. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll accept that. I, I pray that's how this works here. And so it was like this formula that was happening of teaching them these layers of how to bounce back. And that's when the publisher came to me and said, 
what is this? How are you doing this with people? And I'm like, I don't know. I just naturally do this. I just do that. I know what to do. And then they're like, no, we need to sit down and put this to paper. And that's where the nine principles came as just a, a starting point to help you bounce back. I love it. I love it. You know, th- this, this topic, I could talk about it forever. So selfishly, <laughs> like I, I not the listeners going to hear this, but honestly, and, and, but when I was going through all your stuff and kind of trying to figure out what we're going to talk about, I'm in my mind thinking like, how come I haven't reached out and, and like spent at least some time, at least if it's like, can you like grab the you know, coffee for 30 minutes? Because yeah. I, I have a coach. I went through, mm-hmm. uh, there's another guy who's his podcast is an earlier one. I think it might have been the last one that we published, but his name's Andy mm-hmm. Maurer. He's a oh yeah coaching now, and I went through his program and you know had a lot of success with it. And you know, to your point, it's about yeah, he great guy. I mean, it's really about you know for for men especially. I'm sure women go through the same thing, mm-hmm. but in the business world, we just suppress our feelings so much. That over time you just start to flatline a little bit and you don't get yeah. experience the highs and lows, you know, that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so I've been doing a lot of work and I still have a lot of work to do. But you know, one of the topics we covered and I want to talk to you about is building uh mental grit and resilience. Because yeah. I think, you know, there's there's a difference. I think people, you know, they in they mix up the two or they don't necessarily know the right definition of you know grit and resilience. So can you share what what your perspective is? So here's the thing, you know, resilience is how you endure it. And it's also, so what happens is resilience is by your way of going through it and enduring it and building this mental endurance, you're building resiliency. And the grit is the grittiness is how well you stay in it while you're going through it. And people don't often talk about it this way, but when you're in the middle of it, how you handle adversity is really starts to show your grittiness and how well can you stay in it? How do you handle it? What do you do with your emotions on it? And with resiliency, you're, you're building mental resiliency. You're building mental endurance. Think of it that way. We're running a marathon. We have to build endurance. Well, how do you build physical endurance in a marathon? It's by adding the miles, right? So you need to add the miles to be able to complete the race. Well, we're trying to complete the race of life. We don't know when we're getting called out, but we have to be working on building our endurance for this. So. The more you put yourself in situations that allows you to test the limits here, the the greater you are in building your resilience and the grittier you get in handling it. So that's why I'm just going to take a step back why I put a lot of people through cold plunge and because I'm trying to get them to say before even something from a health thing happens or something in your business that's challenging, what are you doing on a daily basis that's testing you, that's working on you building resilience and grittiness? Well, when I take players and they first start, I'll say, like, I remember one player when he got into the cold plunge. He's like, I go in all the time after a game. I'm like, to your waist, you go in. I go, have you gone up to your shoulders when the cold goes above your heart and it increases your heart rate? He's like, no, but how hard could it be? I was like, let's go. And he's like, I'm very gritty. I said, okay, we get in and it's not even, I don't even think it's 30 seconds and two minutes was our limit. And he is breathing. He can't breathe. You know, it's, it's, He's panicking in the moment. He's like, you fire or flight. You want to get out of 35 degree water. Who wouldn't? But as we worked on this and as we worked on his breathing and controlled his emotions and got him to sit in there, he started to build the resilience. And now he could go, he could literally go for 10 minutes, which is a long time. You don't, you don't need to, you don't, you absolutely listening. Do not need to sit in there for 10 minutes. But my point, my point was is mentally, he started to build that bandwidth. Well, 
when you're going through tough times, you start to engage in it. You start to look at adversity and how it could advance you. So you shift and reframe it. And when you do that, you build also better resiliency. So sitting in it builds resiliency. Reframing builds better resiliency. And the grittiness is just when you see someone. It's kind of like seeing a seal when something comes at them. A Navy seal, not a seal seal. And <laughs> you're looking and they look at something and they almost smirk at it, like bring it. You see Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, anything. They they wanted to build an issue so they could get gritty and it would shift their mind. That's what you almost want to look at. And I know not all situations are easy, but I'm telling you, by the time the third stroke came, no joke, I was having the stroke. I knew it was coming on. It's my third. I go to one medical. They don't take my insurance. They're like, Dar, we don't take your insurance. But the doctor's like, you're clearly having a stroke. And I was like, no sugar, obviously. So they hand me a note to go to the hospital. They said, we're going to call an ambulance. They said, don't call an ambulance. If you don't cover that, it's going to be like the price of a country. It's one mile away. I'll Uber, I said, Max. So I Ubered to the ER having a stroke and getting out of the Uber. The guy says, I hope your friend's okay. I said, I'll tell her. And I walked in and I sit with the doctors and he's like, you are clearly having a stroke, but you don't look it. And I'm like, it's my third one. I know this rodeo now. There's no way I could be in that state of mind, right? Had I not been through hard times before, had I not helped people through it. And I want you to know our human spirit, it's amazing. We can endure so much. I mean, just go watch the movie Unbreakable. That alone inspires me every time. But that resiliency is putting yourself in situations that you go a little more. Stay in the difficult conversation longer. Push yourself a little harder in that workout. You know, when you're starting to feel an emotion and you want to back off that freeway and exit off, stay in it. Feel it a little more. That's going to help you start to build the resiliency and the grit that you need to keep enduring it. But you can't build that muscle if you keep exiting as soon as you start to feel pain. you got to stay within it. You've got to push through it so you build endurance. I love it. I love it. Man, the cold plunge thing. Uh, and for those of you that I like to make this clear, if you don't have a cold plunge, just for a short while here, if you're in Arizona, you can still put the shower on on full cold. Yes. And that's, you know, kind of does a lot of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes in a way, I think the sh a cold shower is more difficult because you can step away from it. A cold plunge, you get in, obviously. So yes. you're absolutely right. I have a hate love relationship with cold plunge. Uh, yes. so that's, uh, mm -hmm. I love that example. Um, talk about it in this, obviously near and dear to our heart. I mean, there's so much overlap with, you know, what, what you believe and what we believe. And I mean, this is a built on purpose podcast. I mean, your company is all about, you know, coaching is all around, you know, aligning purpose and, mm -hmm. and mission, but talk about the importance, um, you know, for those of the, that, that want a little nudge, but the talk about the importance of developing a personal mission statement. You know, we hear this a lot, and I think sometimes now because people have heard it, they start to tune it out a little bit. And I, I want to remind people, don't. Because, you know, part of leading and part of living is getting lit within. You don't want to have to keep lighting a fire underneath you. You want to light a fire within you. And the way you light a fire within you is why power over willpower. That's one of the principles. And that has to do with your mission and understanding why you're here. And people say, yeah, but that seems so big and so massive. Well, okay. Let me go back for a second. When a company opens its doors, they clearly define a mission and that mission becomes its sword and its harness. Everything that you want to do and aligns, you harness it into that mission statement. Anything that does not align with your mission, you cut it away. Personally, I ask people, why don't you have that for yourself? Because when you wake up in the morning, if you don't have a guiding light 
the fire lit within, the why power to help you sustain, it gives, it makes it easier to give up. It makes it easier to get distracted, lose clarity and focus. So how could we be our greatest levels and be efficient if we don't have that focus and that clarity, which comes with your why? And then I make this fun and being able to figure out that why power, which is your mission and, and saying, you know, I love 30 for 30. So the ESPN show 30 for 30 is always the making of greatness. It's always the making of someone who overcame something, which is all of us. We are a 30 for 30 in the making. Someone's going to be playing out our story. And I had to give both of my parents eulogies. And I said to both of everyone there, your story will be played out. How do you want it spoken? So when you think about this, like, what is your life anthem? What is the one core value word that you would live or die by that would fuel you? And when I help people go through this, you know, I had a CEO and he's like, Dar, I, I actually want it to be value, the word value. I want it to be that I could add value. If I could be led by that, then every intention of every meeting and every moment, every interaction is going to be that much better. So when I walk into the office to lead my company, I ask myself, as soon as I walk in, how do I want to add value? When I answer the call, any phone call, how do I want to add value? When I go home and see my wife, I ask, how do I want to add value to her life? I live with such intention now that if my role was to change, if the company was to go under, if something was happen, my kids grow up, you know, I still could say to myself, you need to wake up every day because you are here to add value to someone's life. Now went from me to we, it's service, it's servant leadership, and it gave him fuel and he lit up. I mean, he's an amazing leader. We just put words to it that he could have in front of him. So he speaks it and he speaks life into it. Then I had a player, you know, his was inspiring greatness. He got hurt. And I said to him, Hey, how else are you going to live your why out? Why are you going to get up every day and keep working when you know you're not playing? And he's like, well, because I want to inspire greatness is what we got to. So I could do it in the community. I could do it in the locker room. You could still live out your why. And it does not have to be determined by a role, finances, or situations in the world. You still get up to do it. And it's what drove me when I was having, you know, my setbacks and coming back. I was like, I still get to awaken greatness. As long as I could speak. <laughs> then at least I get a chance to start again. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. As you're talking about that, so I uh, played a lot of sports when I was younger. I defined myself by playing sports. And, you know, when I if I look at the highs and lows of my life, one of the lows mm -hmm. was quitting college baseball. That's where I ended my career. And uh, I always felt like even when I started working that my why was to help others better succeed in sports. And so that because I coached, I used I coached. Mm -hmm. As side jobs, even in college, I'd go to mm -hmm. uh, my cousin as a head girls coach at University of Oregon. So I used to coach at his camps when he was at uh, University of Portland. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I, I started, it took me a while. And I, I met a gentleman early on in my career that made the simple switch. He said, you know, you can do that in business too, right? And like that small change that now I know. And so my, mm -hmm. my why has always been the same is to help others better succeed, period. It's really shifted like how I carry myself. And as you're talking, I, I've never, uh, never thought of it this way, but I have been really blessed to have, uh, the ability to stay in shape. It's something that I, I take a lot of pride in. Mm -hmm. I, I push very, very hard at my age mm -hmm. and I really like it. But the reason it started, and this is, I don't know why, mm -hmm. how this came out of the reason it started was I played, uh, lots of sports when I was younger. Well, when I was, when, when my ex-wife was pregnant with my son, mm -hmm. Maxwell, mm -hmm. 
I, I saw her pregnant and it hit me. I'm like, I am not the person that I want my son to see. So I started working out then. He's 17 years old. So for the last 17 years, I've, you know, I've, I've had some ebb and flows, but, uh, I would say I, I push the envelope. I, you I know, love it. I'm in probably the best, you know, maybe the yeah. best of my life, but it all started. And that was a, that was lit from within. That wasn't a yes. lit. And I've been lit yes. within since then. So, oh, I love it. But thank you for, uh, that was like a gift. I didn't expect. Uh, I uh, love it. And I love that it keeps you lit and that you're taking care of your health because I think this is sidebar, but I just think people forget how important that is because we can't, all the goals we could write on paper, if we're not well enough to do it, then if we didn't take care of our health, we can't see that through. So. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that there is a, I've read this plenty of times, but, uh, people that have their health have all the hopes in the world. People that don't have their health only have one hope. You no. know, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty critical. So, um, but I, I appreciate you uh, uh, making me realize that that's what lit me from within. When you think about, you know, I, I've heard you use this term and a lot of people do, but I think I, I, I'm looking forward to how you articulate it. But what does it mean to raise the bar in your life? Mm-hmm. I get fired up about this one. <laughs> I've been sharing about raising the bar. Raising the bar came when my mentors helped me raise the bar years ago. And he was like, Dar, you could be a better leader. Like everything you do the small things, the big things, how you do anything, how you do everything. And he got on me when I was a younger leader. And he just said, I think you'd be better if there's cracks in your foundation. And when you raise the bar and there's you hold a standard of excellence consistently, it's going to help everyone else hold the standard around you. And that just became this premise. And then it became a speech that I started giving around the country because Raising the bar is raising your standards and it's raising this level of excellence. And I feel like we've slipped a little. And I gave this example like a few months ago where I walked into Chipotle and I asked for, you know, I, I just spoken. I wanted just literally chicken and guacamole. I, I like that was it. And the guy, the chicken was so dry and I, it was like closing. And I was like, I just needed some protein. And so I, I said to the kid, can I have some guacamole with that? And he's like, it's in the back. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to go get it. And he doesn't go get it. And I looked at him, I go, are you not going to get it? And he's like, no. I was like, okay. I go, well, can I have some dressing with that? And he's like, yeah, that's in the back too, lady. He's like, we're almost closing. And I go, so you want me to just have dried chicken? He's like, I don't care what you eat. And I was like, hold up. When did this become the standard for this is what customer service is in our country? I was like, this is not okay. And I've already been speaking at this point years on Raise the Bar. But this is what I'm trying to say. If we don't set the bar and the standard of what is excellence, of showing up on time, of how we do anything, you know, how we do anything is how we do everything, that we don't take shortcuts. And if we don't practice this every day, of course, our standard starts to slip. So I ask people, they're everyday little things like, it's like why you win the morning by making your bed as soon as you get out of it, how you win the morning when you, when you're in a space, you leave a space better than you came into it. Your constant mindset is excellence. Your constant mindset is how do I raise the standard here? So when anyone's watching you and the act of what you're doing, they see excellence. That's what raising the bar is because we get to shift behavior when people believe that our backstage meets our front stage. You know, just how you started this and speaking, you said when you meet Dar, she's consistent in who she is. And I take that as a serious compliment because we have so many people, their backstage doesn't meet their front stage. 
because their bar in one area is not their bar in other areas. And they'll say they'll speak excellence, but they're not in excellence at home or in the standard of when they, whatever they do. You know, it's even as simple as training your brain of, I was in the hotel room and I finished drinking some water and I went to go make a basket in the trash and obviously didn't make it because, you know, my NBA players are much better at that than I am. Plus I'm five too, so I have limitations there. But my point was I could have left the bottle there, right? No one was going to, no one, it's not going to bother anyone. I'm the only one in the hotel room. I would never leave that. I don't leave a space messier than when I came into it. But this is a standard of excellence. When you start doing this, people start observing. And you look at Kobe Bryant. You look at Michael Jordan. Do you think that if you came on their team and you worked with them, if you didn't bring full effort, they were going to allow it? They didn't lower the standard to everyone else. They expected everyone to operate at the standard of what they were giving. If we operate all on this level, from our character to our effort, to our attitude, to our integrity, we will all be better. So you want to be the person when you walk, like Max, I know with a thousand percent in me, when you are around, when I'm in your presence, if we were ever working on a project, we're winning. We're winning. Like it's a no brainer. If you're around one, it's going to be joyful. Two, it's going to be just fun. It's going to be filled with leadership. It's going to be excellent. Like there's nothing you do that is subpar, not even in friendship. So, but that's the standard you bring. And anyone around you feels that that's what we should all be aspiring to. And so greatness is not necessarily what you accomplish. As Kobe says, greatness is how you inspire others by what they see you in the act of doing. Gosh, I love it. I love it. You know, there's a couple things that, that come out after saying that one is raising the bar, you know, for, for everybody listening and just me hearing this, it, it's also you're not only the people that are on your team, but I think as just a human being, when you see people below the bar, I think, I feel like you got to say something, you know, as long as you say it politely, just as you address the, the kid at Chipotle, mm-hmm. you know, I think we need more of that in this world of people. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even call it being bold. I think it's just, you know, just, just noticing and, and commenting and standing up for, uh, you know, what's right. And, you know, it's funny about the winning thing is when I interview people, and I, now I'm giving this away, so I probably won't say this. And if we, you know, a longer conversation when it's like, hey, tell me what's important to you. If they don't use the word win or say winning, I don't, I typically don't, that's an issue for me. Because at the end of the day, you want to win. And, and Jason Colber, I don't, I don't know if you remember, Jason Colber works for the Diamondback. Oh, yeah. He, every time I see him, I'm like, how you doing? And and if things are going, he's like, winning, winning. He brings it up. But, uh, but I agree with you, like, Mm-hmm. You know, raising the bar, in my opinion, you know, is noticing things around you and saying something about stuff when something's below the bar. And typically, what I think about is when somebody else is treating somebody else poorly, for you to say something about it in a, you know, any class act way is keeping the bar, the standard of humanity up, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I want to say one other thing about raising the bar. People, there was a point where this woman came up to me and she goes, I just wrote a book lowering the bar. And I was like, Oh, what do you mean? Because I'm just so tired. There's so much to do. And so hers was a different, but I said, let, let it be clear. I'm not saying do more that it gets you off your game. I'm saying do what you do really well, period. Like do what you do really well. If you're going to do it, do it with excellence. So it's not about raising the bar, doing 10 million things, raise the bar on anything you do. You just do it well. So if you have to do less, do it well. 
come to work. You want to work. People want to work less hours. Fine. Give me four of your best hours. It's probably better than your eight anyways. I'll have you four hours all day. Just raise the bar. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And, and the way you do everything or the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Like that resonates with me. I think about that all the time. I've got five kids and like I've probably, they're so sick of kind of hearing stuff like that. But I do believe in that. I think it's, uh, you know, it's yeah. just how you have to carry yourself. Um, when I was reading through your credentials, which by the way are like a mile long with a lot of, uh, amazing stuff, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're proud, but I want to hear kind of how mm-hmm. this, you know, how this, uh, what this means to you, but you're the only occupational therapist to coach and consult in all four major leagues, NBA, NHL, NFL, and MLB, in addition to ML, major league soccer, PGA, mm-hmm. professional boxing. Like, what does that mean to you? And was this like, was this a goal or how did this, how did you end up here? I, you know, it's way bigger than me. It's, it was, it really is way bigger than me. And, and to just hybrid this point, Max, don't keep saying the things you want to say to your kids because it feeds this point. Where I am today, I truly believe is all the things my parents kept saying to me over the years, specifically my father. He was the ultimate coach. I mean, he was in sports. He coached. We would be on Sundays watching the New York Giants with my Italian family way back then where there was VHS tapes, okay? My dad taped the games, and we would break down film on Wednesdays. I've been watching film since I was a little kid. It's ridiculous, but it is what it is. And playing sports, my father would have – I would practice, come home, practice for two more hours. He says, if you're not practicing properly, you're taking in bad habits. So somehow – I mean, everything that I gave in his eulogy was literally everything that I am today in the coaching and in sports. And that was not the plan. But, you know, something way bigger than me was I got the the training that I need, obviously, as a therapist to do what I did. And then when time came where I started my practice, it was one athlete after another. And I, I just had this vision. I just knew it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be the first OT to do this ever. It was people need help. I have the skills. I think I was just so innovative in the way of I saw opportunity in like Steve Jobs saw that the iPhone could be used. I was like, wait a minute, this skill set needs to be way outside. I want to get to people before they're sick. I want to get to people before they're hurt. So if I can help the leader be the best leader they can before adversity hits, we're going to be better. If I can help the player start building the mental fortitude and the things they need when times hit, they've got a rock solid foundation. So I looked at this as preventative medicine that wasn't being done, giving people the tools they needed. And it led me into all these places. I think truly because, well, one, it works, but it's authentic. It is pure passion because I started not with the intention of how much could I make at all. I was, no, I left everything with zero money coming in. I was so passionate about it. And I, I really believe my why led me to people that needed it. And I feel blessed to be their trusted advisor. Man, awesome, awesome. When you when you look back, so I obviously being an executive leader, I can see how you know the, the coaching can span, and it's you know similar from a mental standpoint and mindset standpoint. But if you if you look back and all the work that you've done, what sport has been the most interesting to work in, and why? You have to pick one though. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, this is this is so hard because they are. It's so unique in each sport. Basketball is what I'm, what I have been engaged with the most, 
the longest amount of time. And I don't, I don't think people realize, even in basketball, how smart these guys are and how much work they put into it. And it's Groundhog's Day every single day. Get up, shoot around, practice, lunch, meetings, nap, get ready, game time. They make the mundane really well. And they have fun doing it. And it's truly a brotherhood. So I know that doesn't answer you directly because it's really hard to pick. Um, each league is different. Like the NHL, oh, the band of brotherhood there. And, you know, you just, before every NHL game, they're playing soccer before they get on the ice. No one would know that. You know, they bond together a certain way. They're very gritty. And look at what basketball players break down on the court from that where a hockey player loses his teeth, cuts open his face, breaks his leg. They're like, put me back in. I mean, they're just so gritty. They, there's just different levels to them. But all of them are, they're amazing. They're amazing competitors. What they have to endure every day is hard. Football and hockey are the hardest on your body, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, spent a lot of time, befriended a lot of hockey players up in Idaho. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's I've learned a lot, especially from the guys mm-hmm. that have played over a thousand games in the league, which yeah. is a long list of them that I get to spend a lot of time with. What you know, what I one of the things that a guy that I run into regularly is Tim Kempton, just around the hood, and you know he's always talking about. I always ask; he's always the best inside story guy. You know, if I'm asking him about Sun stuff, he's amazing. Yeah, and he like what people forget, you know, in all sports, but and this just focusing on basketball is how many games they play, how often they practice or travel schedule. If you can't sleep after games, which typically you know it's not easy to go to bed after you've played yeah. you know, eight p.m game or maybe an Eastern time zone and then you're flying back the next day. I mean, there's so much to, you know, being a professional athlete, but a lot of it has to do with that mental part that you work with in order to feel settled and ready to mm-hmm. play again. Cause they can be the greatest athlete in the world, but if they don't know how to rest, they don't know how to put their mind mm-hmm. in these, uh, it can be tough, but I, you know, I've got a little inside scoop from some people and I know that that's a tough, you know, it's, it's harder than people think. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We were created so our circadian rhythm winds down at sunset, like primal. That's what what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to wind down. That's when sports sports kick off. You know, seven o'clock is game time. So you're wiring your body back up and getting it going. And then, like you said, eleven o'clock, finish a game. We're on a plane next city. You start to doze off or not. You're so you know zipped up from the game. 4 a.m. You're coming in. It's like, oh, now I got to sleep and get back up at nine. It's you have to find ways to start working with your body with the situations that you have, which takes practice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, most of the time in this podcast, I always ask and some it doesn't really catch people off guard. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the podcast. But I ask them if they found their purpose. And I'm not even going to ask you that question. Clearly, you found your purpose. My question to you is, when did you feel like you found your purpose? When I started my practice, it was about, I would say, a couple years into my practice. One, I was driven by it. Like, truly, I felt called to start this because I couldn't I couldn't sit on the sidelines. So it was already starting in me. And then as it started to evolve and evolve and I stuck with it, which we know starting any business, it's really hard. It's always hard. But I, I mean this with every people ask me this all the time. Like if you were to win the lotto, what would you be doing? I'm like, exactly what I'm doing. I might just take the whole summer off, you know, <laughs> and come to Gazer. But, um, I truly, it's someone said I hit the lotto. One of the players, they're like, you already hit the lotto because you get to do what you love every day. Like 
Dar, you're in it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like I'm, if God never blessed me with one other thing, I feel extremely grateful because I get to do the work that I get to do. And I think that's why I encourage people. If you could really hone in on what your gifts and talents are and you write those down and then you, you look and go, where in the world, where does my gifts meet the world's needs? And by my mean world's needs, I mean like, where's the pocket? Where's the niche? Who are the people that could benefit from what the skill set you have? When you align that and you start realizing how your gift is contributing to society in a way that is purposeful, we're, we're Iron Man. We're lit from within. Like we're, we're golden. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. How much you, you've alluded to this a little bit, uh, but how much do you think the way you're raised had an impact on the person you are today? So much. It, really so much because we had to be, we had to learn how to be resilient because they didn't have a lot growing up. And I saw my mom at the age of 40 have a massive heart attack and go through a triple bypass and multiple heart surgeries till the day she left here. And I just saw her get up every day. She never complained. She worked all the time. She, I, everyone in the community was over, over a house all the time. We were like the community household. And I just saw my family be loving and caring, very feisty. They're Italian. You know, they're going to tell you how it is. <laughs> But um, they were very resilient. And I think part of their struggle, though, pushed me to say, I don't want to live in that kind of struggle. So what do I need to do to kind of find my gift and make a difference in this world, but work really hard so I can make life better than how I grew up just because it was really hard. And I don't want I don't want any next generation to have to struggle as much as they did. But I also don't want to take the struggle away from people either. Because the struggle is what sometimes built, well, does build your strength. Oh, man. I think a lot of people, business leaders, uh, I run into this, what you're saying, uh, often. And that is, you know, my, I have it better off than my parents did, and my kids are going to have it better off than I did. But we've now crossed this like barrier of like, my kids will never understood what it was mm -hmm. like. Yeah. And, you know, it's a hard, I think it's one of the most challenging things for parents and for people that mm -hmm. have worked very hard to give their kids a better life because that's what mm -hmm. our parents did. But now we've like broke through this barrier where now it's so good that it's almost sometimes you're like, wait a minute, how do we make it, you know, back to like leak a little bit of the struggle uh, that we, we have? Do. I mean, how do you learn how to get stronger if you've never faced adversity? And if we, we are in a comfort crisis, are us children, Everything's so comfortable, you know, easy, accessible, and comfortable. So it makes it, we don't have to work for as much or as hard to get it. It's, we have so much access. So we start to hurt ourselves. That's why I was saying find ways to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable to get gritty because yes, you might be making more. You might be living in more comfortable situations. Still find a way to make yourself uncomfortable because otherwise that comfort's going to end up being a crisis in your life. Gosh, hundred percent. The work that I do with Andy Maurer, like one of the, you know, one of the things he talks about is, uh, pain is the path to growth and yes. Uh, yes. I like to avoid it or like the, so I love the fact that, you know, yeah. we're aligned on that. What about the people? So you've coached a lot of people and I do agree with you how people are raised it has a lot to do with who they end up as people, but there are a lot of people that had, you know, childhoods that were super challenging or didn't have a good role model or didn't have the type of, you know, families that we were lucky to have as parents. Mm -hmm. 
But talk about those types of athletes and leaders that you've worked with. How have they been over to overcome uh, childhoods that weren't great or didn't set themselves up to get to where they are today? You know, pain or inspiration helps us change. So what happens is when you grow up in that household, sometimes the pain is so bad that you are so driven to get out of that pain that you will do what you need to, to get out of that. So you make a change, you make a change for your life. You know, someone who goes from really poverty times, you know, or, or abuse or whatever it may be. And they make a generational change because the pain is so bad that they'll do what they need to. And then you, or inspiration, you know, um, I think of David Goggins where when he's talking about, when it was the seal, the person that came into his life and, you know, here he was overweight and he wasn't doing anything with his life. And I think it was his mom's, wasn't it, it become his stepdad? It was someone in his life that came into his life. But the point was, is he inspired and started talking about the military. Then he started looking into it, but someone planted a seed of what could be for him. And he took that and ran and changed his whole life. So we either change through pain or inspiration. So you're either so inspired by someone that you're like, I could do this. I want to do this. I'm going for it. Or there's a way or it's so painful. I'm done. I'm just done. And I need to make a change finally. Yeah. 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 No, I, I love it. I think that's absolutely true. And I do think it was a step that I like. I, yeah, I think I like so. You, mm-hmm. Some people don't like I, I could watch him all day because he again, <laughs> he's super consistent. And if he pisses you off, he's going to always piss you off, but he's David Goggins and that's what he does. Yes. Yep. Um, so talk to, talk to me. I think one common theme, you know, I, I get to work with a lot of, uh, you know, really good leaders and people that are, you know, that are doing some great things and, and high potential folks. There's one common theme that I think when people are real honest, they, they go in and out of kind of an imposter syndrome like type of feeling. And I'm sure this happens in sports quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. about like, why that happens, like yeah. how you get people out of that, how people mm-hmm. themselves out of that. Like talk about that because I think that comes up quite a bit. It's real. And you know what? You could be in something and all of a sudden it comes on and you're going, where is this coming from? But what happens is for every level you go, there's a new level. And so what happens is, you know, that let's go to the pro. The pro comes in and they're playing and all of a sudden now they're playing and they've been really good. They've been confident. Now all of these other players are really good around them. And now they start questioning, am I even this good? Am I good? Like, do I have the confidence to do this? And do I have the ability to be at this level? So the imposter syndrome comes in. And you know where it also comes in when they get big contracts. Some players, as soon as they get the contract, now it's like, oh my gosh, now they expect all this from me. Am am I actually that player? Same happens with the CEO. They get elevated to that role and they're going, can I actually do this? And now I've been paid this. Now I've been all of the things that go with it. So the way I help them is I start to say, well, first of all, you've gotten to this position because it warranted. You've put in the work. So let's go. I always go to what is truth and false in the mind. And because we will talk ourselves right out of something. And so when the player comes in and I'll, you know, a player one time said, Dar, I just got paid $70 million and I am freaking out because now the pressure's on. And I said, so yesterday the pressure wasn't on. So yesterday you were good and today you're bad. I was like, think about this. You just put a mental label to it that put the pressure. You are still the same player. That is great, which is why you got that contract. So I, I want you to understand nothing changed. You got paid something different, but your gifts and your talents didn't change. So I helped them go to write a confidence card. 
So in sports, it's a scouting card, but I do this with my executives too. We'll write a confidence card, which is like their scouting card of all the things that they're really good at. And I said, doesn't this warrant this now? And weren't you this before that you are now? And when they start to doubt themselves, I'll go to them, pull out that confidence card and they take a picture, they'll put it in their phone. Same with an executive. When we're going through hard times, I'll say, wait, remember what you told me that you could stand on, that you're good at, that you bring to the table? Do not forget that. And that helps them rebuild their confidence again and reset. I love it. I love it. Man, there's so much. I, I, I'm going to keep going a little bit. I, in researching your background, I saw the AZ Foothills uh, article and it talked about, you know, if you could have dinner with anybody, who'd you have dinner with? And you named four people, but the two that I want to talk about that, you know, from a coach's perspective, I think one of the most fascinating people for me is, you know, playing sports is Kobe Bryant and Jesus is who you pick. So I want, I want to, I want you to point out how important faith is in your life. And then mm-hmm. I want to talk about, Kobe Bryant, I'm not suggesting Kobe Bryant and Jesus are the same for those listening, but I, I, there are two choices, but let's start with, let's start with Jesus first. I mean, how, so I just look at Jesus as the ultimate life coach to me. You know, he, he, the way he led, the way he loved, the way he served and the way he moved thousands of people from starting with 12. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty impressive. And my faith, I grew up Catholic. And then, you know, I go to a non-denominational Christian church, but I will just say this for me, faith is a huge part of my life. And I, I have seen things in my life and in people's life that it, there's no way to describe certain things that happen other than it is bigger than us. And when I think about, you know, for me, when I read like the new Testament and I think about how Jesus led, I just look at the leadership principles that were in that. And I thought, even if someone doesn't believe in Jesus, I think, Just read these leadership principles, serving, loving, never judging, you know, um, being able to move a multitude, the way he taught in parables and stories that people wanted to listen, the way he inspired others to go inspire others, which is Kobe Bryant's whole thing on what greatness is. So Jesus to me is the most, it is the person that I know someday I will have lunch with him. So when that day comes, I look forward to it. But, uh, is my ultimate inspiration over any other person. And then when they were like, well, what's a person that's here, you know, or that lived here? And I was like, um, well, then Kobe, because I've always felt like an outlier my whole life. And that probably comes from my family, meaning this level of excellence and the standard that I think and operate on. I'm sure it's a lot for some people, but I just don't understand what other way there is because I will, I don't want to be the person that lowers the bar when someone walks in that they know they could lower the bar and make shortcuts and not come in with excellence or integrity. Like I can't do that. So Kobe with how consistent he was from on the court, off the court to learning about business when he was retiring to obviously creating that documentary, everything about him was excellence. And so to me, it would have been more of, I just want to share a meal because I want to just hear the stories of when you had to pull from within and hear the stories of how you stayed consistent and just be around the presence of other people that, you know, operate at a high level. To me, anyone like that, I would love to have lunch with because it's just going to inspire me to be better. Amazing. Amazing. Well, with that, I wish we had more time because I have so many questions, but we're going to wrap up. Remember, Tuesday the 28th, The Art of Bouncing Back comes to bookshelves, to uh, anywhere where you you buy, you buy your books. Mm-hmm. Run out and get a copy. I actually bought a, a copy ahead of time. So I'm looking forward to reading through it. 
And uh, you've been listening to the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. My name is Max Hansen. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at wisecouts.com. Thanks again, Coach Dar. Thanks, Max.